0: Welcome to Precept to Practice, CE Impact's podcast created specifically for preceptors of pharmacy learners. If you're a regular listener, thank you for joining us again. And if you're new to Precept to Practice, welcome. I hope you enjoy today's conversation and I hope you'll check out some of our past episodes. We've all heard students and residents complain about pimping from preceptors during rotations or during their residency experience. Pimping has really given a bad name to what can truly be a very effective teaching strategy when it's done right, Socratic questioning. This week I'm speaking with Lindsay Davis of Midwestern University Glendale and Kevin Carrasco, a preceptor who has jumped on the Socratic questioning bandwagon after experiencing what a difference it has made in his effectiveness as a preceptor. During our conversation, they debunked many of the assumptions often made about Socratic questioning as a teaching method, and they also gave some great advice on how to approach this method in a trusting and safe way for learners. Let's listen in. Okay, well, welcome, Lindsay and Kevin. I'm so glad to have you here as guests on the Preceptive Practice podcast. Lindsay, you and I have known each other for a long time, but I thought we could start by just having the two of you introduce yourselves real quickly. So, Lindsay, could we start with you?
1: Absolutely. So, Kathy, it's always a pleasure, and thanks for thinking of me. So, my name is Lindsay Davis. I'm a pharmacist by trade, and I am currently an employee of Pfizer in field medical and the cardiovascular metabolism space, but I've kept some of my ties to Midwestern University College of Pharmacy, where I've spent the last 12 years in the learning and growing and falling in love with education and precepting and connecting in that space, and so that's what brings me here today is through that legacy of the different things that we've worked on. And I'll do a brief introduction to Kevin and then let him fill in the blanks. Kevin is also a pharmacist by training. And I first got to interact with Kevin through a teaching and learning curriculum program at Midwestern University where he was a participant. And he has continued on as a preceptor. As a matter of fact, has earned himself a very well-deserved preceptor of the year from Midwestern students as an honor for the work that he's done. And he has been investing in himself and in his students, the use of the Socratic method uh, which is why I wanted to invite him to join in our discussion. Kevin, what would you add to your background and what would you like everyone to know about you?
2: Uh, I think number one, you did a fantastic job of honoring me and making you look so shiny. But uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I met you through the clinician educator program at Midwestern and uh, it's been a pleasure educating uh, the future of our profession and precepting students at my site. Um, I'm currently working at Banner University Medical Center downtown Phoenix as an emergency medicine pharmacist. And uh, really, you've been an inspiration to keep me passionate about teaching, and I feel honored to have been invited on this podcast. Thank you very much.
0: Awesome. Kevin, we're really excited to have you. I was I was thrilled to know that there's somebody out there who has embraced this concept of Socratic questioning, and I know there's many others like you, but I'm really excited to talk with you on a practical level about how it's impacted your, your practice and how you precept students. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. So we're talking today about the Socratic method. And um, Lindsay, I know that you've been a proponent of this teaching strategy for, for many, many years and, through, and teaching a lot of students over the years. So just briefly, could you give us um, a description of what is the Socratic method in plain language?
1: The most simple way I could describe the Socratic method is it's a way to use questions purposefully to ensure understanding, to explore thinking, and to fill in gaps of knowledge.
0: Awesome, Kevin, would you add anything to that description?
2: I mean, it pretty much echoes what Lindsay just said, but I'll give my own stab at it. So um, I think the Socratic method is a way that we as teachers and preceptors can engage in a structured and meaningful discussion with our learners, usually about a particular topic or problem. And uh, like Lindsay said, we're allowed to probe them with a series of questions to find out what they know. And I like to keep in mind that the ultimate goal is to help them construct their knowledge from the ground up.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's a great, I think that's a great description. You two make a great team. Um, Kevin, how about we start with you? If you could just tell me a little bit about how you learned about the Socratic method. I know that Lindsay mentioned that you had participated in the clinician clinician educators program at Midwestern initially. Um, How you learned about the method and what inspired you to employ it in your precepting practice?
2: Oh, that's a great question. So sorry to steal your thunder, Lindsay, but um, I was actually first introduced to the Socratic method by my law and ethics professor during my first year in pharmacy school at Toro University up in Northern California. And uh, being on the receiving end of the Socratic method in a classroom setting, uh, I have to admit it was a bit intimidating, uh, mainly for the fear of answering questions incorrectly in a classroom full of my peers. So that was kind of my very first introduction to the Socratic method and kind of how I first discovered it. But my interest in the Socratic method was later revitalized by Dr. Lindsay Davis when I was enrolled in her clinician educators program at Midwestern University in Glendale, Arizona. At that time, I was already precepting learners, and I was able to appreciate how it can be applied to precepting Appy students in a more personalized learning environment. So um, by, you know, engaging with Lindsay and, and through this program, uh, I had also discovered that she had previously recorded another s- short podcast titled Five Key Concepts to Consider When Implementing the Socratic Dialogue in Your Precepting Practice. And when I listened to this, it was pretty much instrumental in setting, le- setting me up to start exploring the use of Socratic Dialogue with my learners. So that's kind of my whole background to it.
0: Yeah. And it's, I, I can understand, you know, you're relating back to your days as a student, because there's nothing pharmacy students hate more than to be wrong, especially in front <laughs> of their peers. Right.
2: Exactly. So,
0: yeah. So I know there's some pieces of this that make it a little bit scary for students. Lindsay, you know, Socratic questioning sort of has a, you know, it has a mixed reputation. I think there's, you know, some, I think students, you know, can struggle with it and struggle up, uh, over what the intention of it is and how, you know, sometimes how it's used. How would you distinguish socratic questioning from just asking questions?
1: So, it's a great question and it has to do twofold. What's the intent of the questioner asking the questions? And also are you using questions to tie together to get to a certain end point? And that endpoint could be discrete, like for instance, I want you to understand how calcium channel blockers could lead to peripheral edema, or it could be something globally. I want you to have a better appreciation of how others might view this situation differently. Even though there's no right or wrong answer to how you land, it's just to explore and and, uh, the robustness of your appreciation of what's happening. So the twofold piece to that, intent. If Socratic questioning is being used as it's intended and designed to be in a perfect element, it is not what is otherwise known as pimping. And pimping is this concept, which Socratic questioning is not, but pimping is the concept that you are going, someone, it's a hierarchical structure where someone at a higher level is going to be peppering the learner or the other individual with questions until they falter or feel discouraged or it's very clear that they're not as knowledgeable as someone else. So the funny way I always say that is Socrates was not a pimp, and mm-hmm. that was not the intention of the Socratic dialogue as we've come to understand it through um, history and reading about um, the methods um, that he portrayed. Right. The next piece about asking questions with purpose means that you're trying to get at something bigger than just seeing if someone knows the right answer. It's more about having good reasoning for why you think the way you do and thinking about something from multiple perspectives and it brings in the elements of critical thinking and bias and character and uh, an appreciation of context
0: yeah that so i'm you know i'm hearing you say things like socratic socratic questioning is you know a, a means to foster critical thinking for the purpose of growth versus just simply assessing what someone knows for almost the purpose of tripping them up and proving them wrong, right? Yeah, Yeah. and it's more beyond the spot check of, do you know the rate at which you can
1: infuse potassium in a peripheral line? For instance, I kind of made that up out of thin air, but it's if they know the answer that you're looking for, it's how do you know that or what would happen if we didn't follow that? So it's followed up with the why. And the why is what unlocks the learning and making sure that information isn't just being recited to you, because we all memorize things that we don't really process. The best example I have of that is, have you had that experience where a song comes on the radio that you haven't heard for a while? And it's not a song you even particularly love. It's just something you've heard before. And all of a sudden, you know the words and you're saying the words and then it kind of washes over you oh my God, are those the words to that song? I had no idea that's what it was actually saying, yet I knew the words and I was singing along and it's familiar and I'm just kind of moseying through, but now it's kind of settling in on me of what this means. Mm -hmm. And when we're just asking questions and just getting answers without probing on the why, we may not truly understand if our learners know something, if something's right for the right reason or the wrong reason, or if they even have a reason. And that's why I feel so passionately about this method in learning really anything I wanna I learn and maintain a uh, value. Yeah,
0: yeah, that, that is a really helpful, I think, response to that question. Kevin, let's, let's talk a little bit more about some of the practical aspects of, of implementation. So can you talk a little bit about how use of the Socratic method has directly impacted your precepting?
2: I'd be happy to. And just to kind of echo off what Lindsay was saying on that previous question, I too agree that the Socratic questioning helps learners more or less understand the why, as opposed to just knowing the what. And so that kind of just rolls into your question and, you know, what ways has the Socratic method helped impact my precepting? And, you know, anyone who's listening to this, who's currently or going to be a preceptor, you're going to encounter different learners that are at different levels of knowledge Um, and, you know, some are, you know, rock stars and superstars. Some you may feel you're gonna struggle with them throughout the whole rotation. And so with the Socratic method, um, when I'm using it with my learners is, I just feel like it helps me unburden myself that I need to teach them everything that I think Mm -hmm. they need to know. Mm -hmm. Um, So number one, it just kind of gives me a breath of fresh air that I could use it to start at whatever level they're at And once again, with the ultimate goal is that I'm gonna construct some type of growth in this learner. So, and then by engaging in this dialogue, it helps, it's allowed me to um, build trusting relationships with my learners in a way note that I I think they wanna feel in a safe learning environment with me. Um, I want them to know that it's okay to take an educated guess and encourage them to think out loud about how they're going to try and solve a problem or what's going in their head when trying to tackle a problem or a a certain question. Um, And also in the nature of my business in the emergency department, it's it's a very busy shift. And by having this ability to engage in this dialogue with my learner, it helps keep them engaged, even though I'm doing a million things at once. And aside from teaching, I still have, um, you know, I have to take care of patients and, and interact with nurses and doctors and other healthcare workers and patients and their family members. So it helps keep them engaged by keeping them, uh, you know, tied into the dialogue as well. Um, Also, by using this method, it just helps keep me more enthusiastic about teaching. And if Mm -hmm. I'm enthusiastic, I feel like the learner also is going to be equally enthusiastic about learning. Uh, So overall, I would say that it helps me have a lot of fun on shift and it keeps me on my toes. And of course, by having these meaningful and structured conversations with my learners, it it helps me stay passionate about teaching overall.
0: Yeah. Wow. I, um, I hadn't ever thought about Socratic questioning being a way of unburdening yourself from teaching everything. You know, you think about, you know, you think about the fact that you can gauge where a student is at, you know, through questioning, but I, but I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, meeting a student where they are versus that also helps you as a preceptor, not feel like, we don't have to start at the beginning every time, you know, we can tailor, we can tailor the experience and that helps both of us. Um, So that's a, that's just a great concept. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, I also, I also really appreciate the fact that you find joy in, in this method and that you find it stimulating and engaging and um, boy, in the space we're in right now in pharmacy practice, that is super important for sure. Thank you. Um, Lindsay, I know you've used this method for many years. I don't know if there's any other, you know, practical aspects or experiences that you could add to that conversation.
1: Well, I'm just delighted by the insights that Kevin shared and I echo the things he shared, um, the sentiments he shared. And I would just, I guess, highlight the top level of those concepts. One, the socratic method allows you to tailor where you're at with that student at any given moment. Two, it keeps you engaged and accountable just as much as it keeps them engaged and accountable. And everyone really is learning from that process and benefiting. There's some pro-cons to the concept of utilizing this method. And I'm sure that's something you want to ask me a little bit about, but it feels really timely right now. A pro is that you can use it for any topic, anywhere, anytime. A con is that to do it robustly, it can take a little bit of time, and we may not always have that time, especially in a busy eating environment. But I guess the counterpoint to that is, is if you have a good relationship, working relationship with your learner and they know about this method, you can have ongoing dialogues. They don't have to be on the same topic all in one finite piece of time. You could say, let me ask you this question now. What are your thoughts? Let me do a follow-up question. Go on about your business, come back and continue that discussion because we're ready to, to engage in that way. And what a beautiful way to set up that it takes if you do it really well, it can pull the student out of that mindset that they always have. to. They're always worried about the next right answer instead of saying, I want to continue to engage in that discussion.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And the last piece I would say that I'm so glad that Kevin brought up is this concept of the messaging we send our pharmacy students, especially is don't just guess, never guess. We tell them never guess, never guess, it's patient care. And they confuse when the never guessing is. It's true you never guess at the bedside when telling the patient exactly what's going on or telling the provider of what you would do or making a recommendation. But when you're in that learning space with your preceptor, that is absolutely the time to explore and make educated guesses and to move a concept along or say, you know, I'm really not sure I'm thinking this, but I'm thinking that can't quite be right because of this. But I also think it has something to do with this other thing. Can you help me make those connections? Mm -hmm. That is the beautiful way to quote unquote guess, but to use the Socratic method to as a structure to have those conversations that really move our thinking along.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Never guess, except when you should be guessing. <laughs> or it's okay to <laughs> except guess. when it's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's okay to guess. <laughs> so Kevin alluded to this a little bit when he was talking, um, Lindsay, about you know making, creating a trusting relationship with students so that you know this this method can be used successfully. Um, but certainly, some students, you know, are going to find it a little bit threatening. So I'd like to hear from from both of you. On, you know, what kind of what strategies can you recommend for creating a safe environment where students, you know, can explore this without feeling like they're they're failing or struggling?
1: I love the question and it's so important and it's easier said than done. And it requires an emotional investment in your learner and attunement to how you think they're feeling and validating their emotions beginning with day one and not forgetting about that as they continue to be vulnerable and as they work so hard to meet your expectations, right? Sometimes we underestimate how much, at the end of the day, our learners just want us to think that they're great and be able to showcase to us how amazing they are, even though we're giving them opportunities to do exactly what they need to do, which is fail forward. And so it's this real strange environment in that space. I'm not always successful. in bringing a student along to feel comfortable. And so I can't say that I have this all worked out. Some of the things that I try to do is say to a student, I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And part of that is I'm willing to be vulnerable with you. And I also wanna maximize all of the time we have together. In my case, the rotations I've serviced have been six weeks in duration which sounds long until you get in the middle of it. And then it's flies by, the days are long, but the weeks are short. And I say, I wanna soak you up and I want you to get every inch of ground that we can make when we do this together. I try to help the students realize that at the end of the day if they have learned something that sticks with them in the long term and they've learned a way of thinking that they are going to be so much better off than if they had had simple superficial right answers and not been able to move forward. And so it's just this continual cycle of this. Another thing I try to do is find a mechanism to model what success looks like in a Socratic discussion that doesn't involve them. And so ways that I've done that is I've had recorded videos of me working with other students or I have readings from um, that they can look into so that they can learn and experience the uncomfort of it at a distance and then see the end input and recognize, wow, there was value of that at the end. So if I can get to the end of that, I can see what success might look like and why I might want to make myself vulnerable in this space.
0: Kevin, what would what would you add to that? Do you have any, um, any, any strategies or tips or, you know, just personal experiences where you've either Failed or succeeded at creating that trusting environment?
2: Oh, well, yeah. N- number one, I'm probably going to steal what Lindsay just said to my students and tell them that I'm, I'm willing to be vulnerable with you. So, kind of set that stage that, you know, and build that, that trusting environment right off the bat. But, kind of, my approach to setting them up for the, you know, Socratic method is to, you know, it's very important to just set the expectations from the very beginning. And for me, ideally this, this occurs on day one, the first time I I encounter them and definitely during our orientation, um, you know I'll usually say something like, I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions on this rotation because I think that's a great way to learn. Uh, Don't worry if you don't know any of the answers because that's the way you're going to learn. And, you know, just telling them like that's what it's gonna look like. Like kind of what Lindsay says is just kind of setting up the expectation. And then um, also Lindsay, she, you know, she's kind of like my mentor when it comes to using this Socratic method. And she's done some previous work on this topic and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of this information will be attached to the show notes afterwards. Um, But I do have access to some of that information. And during that orientation phase on day one is uh, I'll set them down in a quiet environment in our conference room or something, and I'll have them review this information And then come back and we'll discuss it with so that i can like lindsay said model what this is going to look like as opposed to you know not setting up that expectation and then we start off the rotation and i'm just asking them a bunch of questions and and that's kind of what lindsay was saying and you know that old pimping model where you're just asking them questions and and it's almost like in a punitive nature because Mm -hmm. ultimately all these all these students and learners want to do is is impress us as preceptors and they have to understand that the only way they're going to impress us is that they have to fail forward and that we are investing our time and our emotions uh, into their growth and that we're passionate about it and we want to see them succeed. But, um, you know, you can't really just spoon feed them all the answers and expect that they're going to grow in that fashion. So uh, that's kind of how I set the stage for them and it, it's been working out pretty well. Um, but there are some times where, you know, they get a little frustrated that uh they don't come up with the answers or we'll hit a a long string of incorrect answers and you know I have a strategy to circumvent that and you know maybe we could talk about that a little later.
0: Yeah yeah I do I do want to ask you a little bit about that how to about navigating you know learners reactions. Um, Before we get to that though talk a little bit about um, maybe some of the drawbacks or limitations and maybe Lindsay you could start with this one. Nothing's perfect, um, and I'm sure there are situations where this maybe isn't the right approach with certain learners. Um, so maybe you could chat a little bit about what those limitations are and and how you, you know, make make decisions, strategic decisions about you know when and how to use this method. So I think the
1: first biggest hurdle is as the preceptor being willing to be vulnerable yourself, mm-hmm. and. Sometimes you'll encounter learners who are far more knowledgeable about some of the details of specific content than you expected. And it actually exceeds what you know. And when you ask a question, they have a response. You can't gauge whether it's right or wrong or off. And you're like, I'm not really sure. And then you feel maybe like you've lost some credibility with them. So I think that first step is just being willing to be vulnerable. I think a way to overcome that is to take stock of content that you feel you can teach really well in your environment. Maybe it's because it's something you're passionate about, or maybe it's something it's because you're knowledgeable about, or maybe it's because it's something that you see over and over and over and over again in your environment. So you know that they're gonna get a lot of practice with it and be able to expand in that area. And if that's the case, then you can start constructing Socratic dialogues where you have lots of ways to go in your back pocket because you're familiar with lots of ways that thinking has gone wrong with yourself or other students because you've seen it mm-hmm. time and time again. So you're much more flexible and agile. And as they're giving you responses that you aren't quite looking for heading in a different direction, you can be thinking, ah, I've seen this wrong trail before. I know how to back you up and get you somewhere else. And mm-hmm. so you can gain comfort with it. The next thing I think is, being savvy with using the different types of questions. So not always asking the same question, like what is the first line drug for this? But being able to say, if the first and second line drugs that you would recommend in this scenario aren't available for one reason or another, they have a contraindication, they have an allergy, it's not affordable, what is gonna be your approach at finding um, evidence to support a third or fourth line therapy? And getting the student to just think outside of of the box in terms of looking for that multiple choice answer and everything, because Mm -hmm. unfortunately, the education system has done that to our learners. They've taken so many more multiple choice questions than anything else that they have this fixed set in their mind that there is only one answer or there's one best answer. And in healthcare, really that isn't isn't the way it is. So being able to have questions in your mind that you can ask of just tell me more about where you're thinking about that or. Tell me what's your biggest criticism about your own recommendation there and having things that you can move into the discussion that really makes it feel that you're trying to help them think versus trying to always have their knowledge on display.
0: Kevin, anything to add there? I mean, drawbacks or limitations or particular challenges that you've seen when using the Socratic method?
2: yeah, I could definitely speak to this. Uh, you know, like you guys said, n- nothing's perfect, but I, I do feel value in using this method to help these learners, you know, construct some growth in their learning processes. And kind of the biggest limitation I, I encounter with it is you know, both parties may become frustrated when you know, we just hit a lot of questions that just don't seem to be right or that we're going down the wrong path. And uh, I, I mainly attribute this to um, maybe the learner. Uh, doesn't have the right background information or understanding on a particular topic or a certain case scenario. Um, so when I just realized we're hitting that, that wall, um, I'll just call like a a, top, a soft timeout and convey some vulnerability like Lindsay said and say, Hey, you know what? It, maybe it's not you. It, it might be me. Maybe it's me who's not asking the right questions. So once again, it just says, Hey, we're in this together. And mm-hmm. so kind of a way to circumvent that is I'll open the floor to the learner and ask them a very open question, like, tell me everything you know about a particular disease state or this problem. So now this kind of gives them the floor, the space to which they can kind of once again, try to impress us, cause you know, that's what they wanna do. And they'll just, you know, start telling me everything they know. And this allows them to build that framework that lets me sit back and listen to them. And then I kind of know, okay, I know what they know now and I know where I want to go with them. And so now that I have all the pieces to the puzzle, we can put it together and try to achieve something that we both is beneficial. Uh, so that's kind of my way when you know we're frustrated over, you know we're not really getting to where we want to go or we're losing traction. And uh, by opening up this dialogue for them just to spill everything they know about whatever the topic is, it ultimately does two things. It helps to reestablish their confidence to be engaged with me in this type of dialogue and it also allows me to know what areas I need to be coaching them on. So that's kind of my approach when we hit those limitations or frustrations in this dialogue.
1: I love that. And that brought me to some of uh, a technique that I've used before. And Kevin, I wonder if this might be a technique you could use in those situations as well. Let's say you come across a circumstance where the patient, this learner is just so befuddled that they can't communicate. they overwhelmed. They feel attacked. They feel inadequate. Sometimes I can take Socratic questioning and make it actually an individual process as an assignment. Hear me out for a second. Say we want to talk about the how you would approach someone for tobacco cessation management and type of the questions you would ask them about their tobacco use history or the medications that they've had exposure to. And they're getting into this scenario where they're in their head. I'll say, I want you to go to your space on your own and for the next 20 minutes, I just want you to write down all the questions you have about this area. You formulate the questions. What questions do you anticipate I would ask? What questions would you wanna explore to feel confident in this area, et cetera? And then when they come back to this list of questions, it does a lot of things. First of all, it's put them in the space where they're starting to ask why, what, how, How does this fit? They ask one question, recognize, oh, that links to another question. And they've started building that process on their own. Second is it really gives me a time that I can now assess the learner based on the type of questions they're asking. If they're asking really superficial questions, I know that they're not at the sophistication level yet I'm looking for. If they're starting to ask about nuance, I'm like, wow, they really do have a lot of thoughts about it. Maybe I need to approach this differently or prepare them perhaps to say, you know. Three days from now, when we have some set aside time for topic discussion, I want you to think about how you would actually answer these so that you're prepared for a discussion so we can have a a fruitful discussion moving forward. So um, that's one one thing I've used when we've kind of come overwhelmed, at a standstill, frustrated. But I feel like I don't want to just let this go completely. I want to make sure we get a good lesson out of this, but I've got to break it up.
0: Yeah. And I think too, Lindsay, sometimes just their own social anxiety or, you know, whatever's happening in their head that day can come across as lack of knowledge. And, you know, the strategy that you're laying out would help uncover, do we really have that, you know, are we really lacking knowledge or, you know, is there something else happening here? And how do we, how do we get to that? So, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Let's talk a little bit about how you, you know, this is, this is certainly an art, I think, probably more than a science, it feels that way to me. Um, so how do you both take sort of a lifelong learning approach to this and, you know, reflect on these Socratic interactions with students and, you know, how do you use those interactions to, you know, continue to refine the craft, um,
1: Lindsay, why don't so you get it started? I, uh, we'll try to be simple about this, but I use two methods. First, I ask for feedback from the learners, both immediately after a particularly difficult or particularly successful Socratic dialogue. And I asked towards the end of the rotation when they had more time to kind of see the progress of their learning and ask, you know, thinking about day one and we had these discussions to the, the ones in the last few days, how do you feel about this dialogue to get a pulse on them? And the next thing that I do is I consistently reflect. So when I have those times in transition in my day, in the car, or walk into the bathroom even, and I have a couple of seconds, I replay discussions. And I think, did I get at what I was trying to? Was I too aggressive, too easy? Was I um, really leading them to a place that was fruitful? Or did I kind of take that tangentially? How could I have in, uh, entered in that discussion better? How could I have made sure that they understand contextually um, why this information would even be useful to explore in such a deep manner? And so it's this constant dialogue I have with myself in reflection,
0: mm-hmm. so asking mm-hmm. for feedback and then reflecting. Kevin, what would you add to that based on your own experience?
2: Yeah, I can't agree more with what Lindsay said. Probably self-reflection is the greatest tool we have to become better at using the Socratic method Um, I tend to reuse and and recycle certain questions that have worked well with other previous learners, especially when I have um, a syllabus that, you know, we're going to go over certain topics. Uh, I've been down this road before with students and depending on what school of pharmacy they come from, I kind of know some of their didactic background. And so it just kind of helps make a a smooth conversation and identify kind of those gaps in knowledge that will help me bridge them. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's a trial and error process. So if I ask certain questions that frequently seem to come off a little awkward or lead to misunderstandings or some confusion, you know, I'll, I'll reflect on it and either abandon it or try reframing it. And with the help of the students, you know, I'll ask them like, OK, I might have asked that kind of kind of weird or, or maybe didn't understand what I was asking. How could I have asked that better to kind of get at the meat of what you have already just discovered in front of me? And so they'll, they'll help me, you know, and then I'll try to use that again and, and make it more second nature to me. And uh, also, I, I try to sample from, you know, people that I regard as master educators. Uh, luckily for me, there's a, a lot of people in an academic environment uh, that are passionate about teaching. And so I try to mimic some of their approach to teaching and questioning and see what works with me. Um, and with practice, I, I feel like I've gotten better at it. And now I'm, I'm kind of still continually developing my own style to it. And the more I do it, it just seems to become almost like second nature to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm starting to realize that I don't only just apply it with pharmacy learners, but I'm also doing it with some other healthcare workers that I interact with, because ultimately it's really just a form of communication to help construct some understanding or some piece of knowledge that can stick and then be applied later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for example, sometimes these dialogues can be short like as if we're doing a, a quick debriefing after a patient case, or if we're just walking the hallway and we're talking about something, you know, I'm, I'm feel like I'm continuously engaged in some type of Socratic dialogue with my learners. And uh, they could also be, you know, a little bit more lengthier, lengthier if uh, we had a, a, a preset sit down topic discussion. So, you know, it's very versatile to me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, just as like, a tip or or a suggestion, I would say that I usually try to start each dialogue with the finish line already in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, There might just be one pearl or one pitfall that I want the learner to walk away with. And we're going to have to work together to draw out this roadmap. And once eventually this is going to allow us to cross that finish line. And then once we get there, I just stop talking and I have them reflect on that one thing we discovered and then give it time to sink in and solidify, you know, I just don't want to water down that one thing I want them to walk away with.
0: That's a great strategy because I think it would be tempting to just keep going and continue on. Right. Um, but then pot- potentially lose the, the impact of what it is you were trying to achieve with that interaction. So I also appreciate Kevin, I think your reference, you know, and, and Lindsay, you reference this too, but asking for feedback from the students on, you know, how, how could I have worded that question differently or, you know, what would have made more sense to you? And I, I would think that that also contributes to that atmosphere of trust that you're trying to achieve when you're treating them in that collegial way. Well, as we wrap up here, um, I'd, I'd love to have some pearls or, you know, last bits of advice for preceptors who want to start using the Socratic method. But who might be feeling a little apprehensive or nervous is there a way to kind of dip your toe in the water and um you know and see how things go and you know adjust accordingly versus dive in Yeah, uh, i
1: have one okay. and that is if you have a very singing topic that you want to arrive at tell the learner up front like pull back the curtain on what you're trying to achieve so for instance, in my prior heart failure clinic, we were doing a lot of work with ARNI therapy or Secubitrol Valsartan in the heart failure space. And so I really wanted the learners to recognize that the risk of angioedema really comes from the Secubitrol and not from the Valsartan. And so I would say up front, Secubitrol Valsartan has a risk of angioedema that's driven mainly by the Secubitrol component. And I want you to understand why that is and perhaps why we might, if we didn't otherwise know that, guess it was the Balsartan component, and then go into asking. So we're starting with the right answer. And that just goes to show this isn't about arriving at a right answer per se, it's about reasoning and making sure you understand the why, and then letting the discussion evolve from there and see how that goes. For
0: yeah, love that approach, You know, starting with the end in mind, but really just giving them the end. <laughs> And then, and then really focusing on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, what about from your perspective? um, You know, any, any tips that you would offer for preceptors who are just becoming engaged with this method?
2: Yeah. If if we have time, I'll I'll say a few things because there's just so much to talk about it. And I mean, I've, I've fallen on my face so many times using this method and, you know, it's my own personal growth by continuing to use it. And now it's, it's about, you know, valuable tool in my tool bag when it comes to engaging with learners and precepting them. And, and really it, it, it's about assuming that we're not so much their teacher, but more so assuming the role of their coach. And kind of when you get that, when you wrap your head around that, I think it makes things a lot easier. Um, and we definitely said it earlier, but setting those expectations upfront with your learner is crucial. Um, I have, can't stress that enough. It's so key so that they're not confused on what's going on with your relationship with them and for people who haven't done it before or feel a little apprehensive about it just start start small you know set the bar low um, maybe carve out a small piece of time and take the socratic method for a test drive on something you're pretty familiar with and that you think is you know a softball to hit and like Lindsay said you know envision what the finish line looks like before you start and you know just a couple other key things i'd like to say is you know when you kind of run out of gas on what to ask or you know you think you might have hit a tangent or gone off course you could use phrases like well well tell me more about something or you could even throw in a a what if and this just really opens up the dialogue to see what does your learner know it's it's almost like a bailout or a parachute for me half the time and um, one other thing I like to say especially about the very over-enthusiastic or passionate teacher is really be cognizant of your interaction with them. And, and I like to always say this, the things like less is more. So after your learner is done talking, I mean, literally count in your head three seconds before you interrupt and add anything on because they might have more to say as the wheels are turning up upstairs. And they're like, oh, well, I have more to say about that. So hear them out, you know, give them time to elaborate on these thoughts because ultimately that's what we want to see, how these dots are connecting in their head. And the last thing I want to say about it is, just have fun. I mean, I, by nature, I, I try to be very humorous with my dialogues with these people uh, and these learners. And that by doing that, it creates a very safe environment that it's, it's okay to to guess and, and explore ideas. But you know, we could almost be funny while we're doing it. Like, tell me what's the worst thing that can happen on your recommendation? What is the absolute wrong answer? And then of okay, course, so anything other than that, Is always going to be better, so you know it's kind of (laughs) yeah. So it it just creates like we're going to start off with a goofy moment and then just move forward from there, and that really ties in that emotional learning component as well.
0: That is great advice, and I I love the three second pause, but that's really hard. By the way,
2: (laughs) yeah, it's been studied numerous times that it's you know the average time before the teacher interrupts the student is probably less than one second.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Well speaking of fun, this has been very fun to talk with both of you and it's great to hear in your voices the, the passion and excitement that you have um, for this method. And you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of, of our conversation, um, in this day and age, we all need um, strategies to stay excited, stay engaged and continue to be passionate about the work that we're doing along with the teaching that we're that we're doing as well. So thank you both. For um, joining me. I'm really grateful. Thanks again to Lindsay and Kevin for sharing their expertise and enthusiasm around this topic. A key takeaway for me is the importance of establishing a transparent and trusting relationship with our learners in order for this to be effective. But honestly, these are key ingredients to a successful learner-mentor relationship, regardless of the teaching strategy employed. Lindsay also shared a great resource with me for anyone interested in experimenting with Socratic questioning in their teaching. You'll find this quick one-page handout linked in the show notes. And as always, be sure to check out the full library of courses available for preceptors on the CE Impact website. Be sure to ask your experiential program director if you're a member so that you can access it all for free. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you next time on Precept to Practice.